Hey, Brian. Hey, Rick. Shooter McGavin here on a Masters Weekend, day two. Wow. So I heard your From the Tips podcast is kind of badass. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of From the Tips. It is me, your boy, Brian, always joined by my fantastic co-host, Rick Landis. The Tour Championship has come and gone. Victor Hovland is your Tour Champion. We'll talk about it here. Rick, how you doing? Good, buddy. I'm doing pretty swell. How about yourself? I'm uh, I'm all jazzed up right now because... Uh, we were kind of correct, which doesn't happen too often. You know, we were kind of right. At the end of last week's episode, we talked about Victor Hovland being really the only one that we thought could get it done if it wasn't going to be Scotty Scheffler. So mm. I'll take a half point for that. Sure. And why not, right? Yeah, I mean, take it where you can get it, I take guess. The, take the wins as they come. You know what I mean? Take the wins <laughs> as they come. Uh, but how how was your week, buddy? How was, how was everything uh, on the weekend? Get up on anything super fun? I mean, I was at a fantastic wedding on Saturday. Oh, yeah. um, it was pretty lit, uh, except for when they stopped serving me alcohol. That was kind of <laughs> stupid because I wasn't even drunk, but dude, whatever. Dude, I got to tell you, um, wedding mojitos, folks. If, you go, if you're going to go to a – this is going to be a very niche conversation for a few, a few sort of people, but – It'll hit if you if you wind up there. If you ever go to Normandy Farms in uh, Bluebell, Pennsylvania, I mean, I guess Lansdale, but right near Montgomery County Community College, and uh, there's the mojito as the as one of the signature cocktails. Beware, because uh, it it doesn't taste like any alcohols in there. And uh, Rick and I can confirm for you, there's definitely alcohol in there for sure. Yes. So my issue, my issue is I dance too much at weddings, so I never get drunk at weddings. Yeah, I don't understand how people get drunk at weddings. It it boggles my mind. See, the the people that get like really uh, dumb hammered at weddings, I would say don't dance enough. Fair. I mean, I was I looked like a uh, a wet paper towel. I was I was soaked. And I, I much like you, my buzz ran out very fast. Uh, yes. it, it was just all a comeback train after that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it either. If you're dancing your heart out, which you should be doing at weddings, by the way, that's why people yeah. invite you. Um, and and you're you're gonna get way more drunk because you're not sweating. You gotta sweat. It's a wedding. Yeah. I was. They're meant for sweating. I was. It was hot. The I minute know. they opened that dance floor, I was out there, and I stayed out there until <laughs> except for when. Except for when Lizzo came on, then I left. But that was really good. Is as soon as they opened that dance floor up, right? I literally I went up to Derek and Alicia while they were still eating, and I was like, "Is the dance floor opening soon?" And they were like, "I think soon." And I was like, "Cool." <laughs> and then like two minutes later, it opened up. Don't want to rush you to or anything, but uh, <laughs> I think we're waiting on you two to be done eating. So let's you know wrap this up. Big day and all. I get that, but you know I'm I trying. Was just, to... I was just ready ready to party a little bit. Try to cut a rug. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, uh, just a, a painting a word picture for you folks. The the DJ went, All right, it's dance time. And like, I don't know the song that just started, but 
in, in, before he even finished the sentence, both of Rick's feet were on that dance floor. He was <laughs> ready to go. My man at that point, sprinted. I was feeling a buzz. At that point, I yeah. was feeling good. I was like, I was doing all right. And then as we danced, and the other thing too is you can't really drink and dance. Like you're not yeah. dancing if you're drinking while you're dancing. So it's mm-hmm. like one of those kind of things. So you also do kind of lose the buzz from that. But uh, but no, it was a good time. Uh, always always fun. Loved love everybody that was there. So it was, it was a good time. Yeah, it's always a really fun wedding when you um you like everybody that's there. The the weddings are sometimes are kind of meh or like the ones where it's like you're going but you don't know anybody. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which is usually um, what it is when you're B listed, which is what Gina and I were. Yeah, but thankfully we knew everybody, which was which is which is a great way to to have a good time, especially you know not everybody is excuse me super willing to to get out there and dance at weddings where they don't know people so when you know most of the people there you can kind of not have to hide who you are and just go have a good time which is always a good time uh so obviously congratulations to Derek and Alicia on getting married on the weekend congrats to you too I don't think you've been listening to this podcast but to congrats to them anyways um in other news Rick what do we got in sports history on the day and not really that much, to be honest. It's kind of a kind of a slow day in sports history. Uh, the main thing that I could find was in 2018. Unfortunately, uh, that was the Boy. first thing that really like kind of struck me. It was that Boy. in 2018, today Aaron Rodgers signed uh, an NFL record contract extension of four years worth 134 million dollars. Uh, which obviously was obliterated by Patrick Mahomes just a few years later and has been destroyed multiple times since then. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing about like having the, the record for contract size, you know, in the next two years, it's going to, it's going to get top. It's just the cycle of sports, you know? Yeah. It's nice to be on top for a little while, but let's not forget that Derek Carr held that title a little bit. So, (laughs) you know, just let that sink in. The next Patrick Mahomes is right around the corner. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's nice for a little bit, but that'll always get eclipsed. Um, In other sports news, uh, as we will continue to talk about golf, obviously, uh, when we wrap this season up and start talking about next season and coming episodes, it will be the return of the fantasy corner to start the episode. So get your friends who like uh, who like fantasy football in the NFL to listen to the podcast too, even if they just like only if they golf a little bit. That's fine. The first fifteen minutes of every episode during the NFL season is pretty much all fantasy based. So. Football. So, you know, you get a little bit of both. You can bring your friends in that like football and all of a sudden they're 25 minutes in. They zoned out while they're on the highway and we're talking about the Fortinet championship and they don't know what happened. So exactly. That's that's how we get fans out here. I think that's that's our strategy is <laughs> talk about football first and surprise them with golf. Yeah. They don't know what's going on. They don't want to go um, to. They're not expecting it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all righty. But. Let's talk about that golf. We had the tour championship, the big one, as some have referred to it as don't know who, but some I'm sure uh, Victor Hovland gets it done at East Lake to the victor. Go the spoils of $14 million. Uh, that is yeah, obviously great for him. Uh, I think the, you know, every, I feel like every time somebody wins that, uh, that event specifically, they do the breakdown of like 
the year's earnings and what that equates to monetarily. Uh, wow. So this season he earned $33.5 million. Uh, that is $1.4 million per event that he started. That is $19,000 per hole he played. And for every single golf shot that he took in this PGA season, the man earned $5,142. That's wild. He takes one swing of a golf club and makes $5,000. Could you imagine? Yeah. Like, there? The thing is, like, Stuff is so overinflated now that like $14 million sounds like not that much. But you, you put it in the perspective of that and you think about like how much money you make in a week. Most people are probably not even fucking close to $5,000. No. And this man just gets it every time he takes one golf shot. If you make $5,000 a week, I think you are well into the six. Figures. well into the six figures uh salary so you're probably you make, you're probably coming close to a quarter mil if not more i don't know i think you can make five thousand every every two weeks let's see let's see you're 5, probably 000, in six digits the hours a week is got the calculator here no way five thousand times 40 hours is two hundred thousand a, a week yeah so five thousand Times times we'll say fifty weeks because that's ten million. It's a good amount of money. Yeah, I I would say so. Yeah, so twenty twenty five hundred times fifty two weeks in a year. So five thousand dollars a week. Yeah, if he if he made twenty five hundred dollars a week, he'd still be making one hundred thirty thousand yeah. dollars. Just to put it in perspective, before we all get lost in the, the semantics of math, it's a lot of freaking money. That's just a lot of money. Uh, to for playing golf. Um, but obviously we know that this is just the territory we run into when it comes to professional athletes. This is what's going to happen. Um, aside from the money, though, right? We said last week that probably the best chance that any any of the, the, the PGA Tour guys had at catching Scotty Scheffler was Victor Hopland, right? He was just coming off the BMW Championship where he just popped off a final round 61 and a back nine 28, right? 28? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and without breaking a sweat and went into this tournament starting one stroke back of Scotty Scheffler. Right. And subsequently decided to absolutely demolish him by 26 strokes. Yeah, not bad. Sorry, 16 strokes. Not bad. Yeah, I would say that's not a, not a bad showing from from Victor Havland. You know, I. I went into this being like, this is going to be a dogfight between these two. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be crazy, right? It's going to come down to the way. It was never even after like Friday or Thursday and Friday. It never felt to me like it was going to be anybody else except Victor. Scotty uh, at least was completely out of the conversation by then. At at by miles, it felt like. Yeah. Uh, you know the fact that you know once. Once we got into Saturday and it became incredibly clear that Scotty was going to be a non-factor, it's I didn't feel cheated at all by any means. But at the same yeah. time, I was like, man, I was really hoping for like a back and forth battle between those two because yeah, that's kind of what we came here for, almost. You know, or just or just any anyone really because like even Xander Shoffley was five strokes behind him going into the the 16th like 
it's a long shot that yeah. there's even a chance. Like the guy started engraving his name on there. He started the process on 16. Why would you not? Right. Yeah, but at the same time as a viewer, you're like, I don't want it to be over on 16 already. I want to have these last three holes mean something. Right, and you know, that that's sometimes the, the issue with how the game of golf, you know, works in a way. Because something like that can happen. It can be pretty much over by yeah. hole 15, 16. And, like, you, there's pretty much no physical chance. You know, obviously there's, like, the point zero 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 one percent you know that he quads two holes in a row for no reason at all right but like now when it's a professional golfer that's not going to happen right Yeah, exactly and then give it up for xander shoffley he and victor had the uh lowest complete stroke totals for all four days at 261 xander did his job he made a run on on sunday there yeah it's just you know that wasn't enough victor had started too far behind yeah victor had five on him to start the tournament in its entirety. So you can kind of do what you want, but you had to be a pretty much uh, unbeatable force in yeah. Victor Hovland on the weekend. Just look at it the way he did it too. 68, 64, 66, 63, no round in the seventies. And then you look at the number one guy for the United States, at least, you know, if we're going to make the Ryder cup comparisons, but the number one guy on tour, the guy that started 10 strokes in front of, of everybody outside the top 10, 71, 70, oh, sorry, 71, 65, 73, 70. Yeah. Finishing up at 11 under when you started before you even took a swing at 10 under. Yeah, it's a bad weekend. That's a bad weekend of golf. Uh, and we're, we're going to get into Scotty here shortly, but just to continue on the good vibes for Victor Hovland. Rick, what? Given the entire season, especially the season that Victor Hovland had, where it was just a really good building block year of like, he's a professional golfer. He's here, he's serious, and he's going to get the job done. What do you, at least on the entire season, was the biggest takeaway as what changed in his game, right? Remember, this is the guy that three, two years ago had the far and away worst short game that mm-hmm. we had seen in quite some time on the PGA Tour. Yeah. It, what um, do you think was the difference for him this year? I think I don't. I and I I don't know. But if I had to guess, there's a mental coach who worked his way in there somewhere because it was obvious that he worked on his mental game, and it translated to his short game improvements. He was putting lights out. Um, they gave him that that putter, I guess for uh. I guess for winning, I forget exactly what it's for, but I don't know if you saw the video. And he, he rolled three putts and he sank them all. Like, his putter was on, his whole short game, like, just everything about his game was, like, he was just surgical with how he took his shots, and everything was exactly where it needed to be when it needed to be. And even on, what was it, 17, I think, when he hit it into the bunker, mm-hmm. it was, like, Dead center of the bunker. Like, it just rolled into the bunker. It was dead center of the bunker. It was no problem. Easy up and down. And I really do think his mental game translated to that. And I think the most obvious change in him was how mentally strong he seemed compared to how he has in recent years. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's uh, this newfound sense of maturity. I'm not sure if it was a... um 
a, a mental skills coach or, or what have you. But if it was, kudos to that guy because mm-hmm. clearly he unlocked the golfer that we all knew that uh, Vic could be. Yeah. But just never really got to it on his own. It, it almost felt like the he was still just waiting to come into his own, waiting to be the mature professional golfer that he is now. And then this season happens and it's like night and day from what we're seeing. Not only was he surgical with every shot, but it's almost like he never put himself in bad situations. You know, before we've seen the Vic that, you know, if he's close, he'll take the very bullish route. He'll, he'll try and press. He's like, I want to get a birdie here. I want to get a birdie here. I'm going to try and score no matter where my tee shot wound up. Now, even when he didn't have a lead, which obviously for, for this tournament isn't necessarily pertinent information, but during the season, even when he didn't have a lead and he wasn't battling, it, if he put a tee shot in a, in a space where he didn't necessarily want to be, he would take the safe, not just the safest route, but also the most strategic where he can save par from where he's going to put this ball. And he's going to put he it would, pretty much where he wants to. Yeah, he would put it in himself in a good position for his next shot mm-hmm. with the confidence that his next shot is going to be where he needs it to be. Yeah, it's almost like he wasn't living on what is this shot going to get me anymore. It's this next shot is going to be here. It's going to be here. It's going to put me in a safe place here Uh, because of my tee shot here and the angle that I opened up for myself. Now I can attack the green and I can put it here. Yeah. More of a chess match than a checkers game. Like it was very meticulous and planned out, it seemed, as opposed to reactionary, which it seemed like he was playing reactionary for the good first few years that we saw him on tour. Yeah. I think that's a perfect, uh, perfect analogy. It's, it's chess, not checkers. That's, that's pretty much, it, it pretty much is what you would say his change has, has been. I think it's just the mental capacity to be a consummate professional. Uh, mm-hmm. And he proved that not just at the tour championship, but at the BMW championship, right? Yeah. Like let's not forget that is back to back wins. In yeah. the Fenders Cup playoffs, which hasn't been done. Yeah. That, that is wild. It's impressive. It's impressive. It is incredibly impressive. I mean, that's something that not only is impressive for a seasoned veteran on the PGA Tour, somebody that's been there, done that. Yeah. But a guy at Victor's age, a kid that went to went what, to college. In the United, yeah, he's 25 because he just turned – um, just turned 25 uh, 10 days ago. Okay. Um, turned pro in 2019, played at Oklahoma State, did the college route, did all that stuff. To play like that in the biggest stage of golf during the playoffs in, in front of the best golfers in the world and not just the best golfers in the world, but the ones that are ranked best in the world, not just on, on the PGA mm-hmm. Tour, to have that kind of composure is really impressive out of somebody uh, in his age group, right? The, the last yeah. time we saw uh, somebody this age play with this much composure and win this much, it's probably Jordan Spieth. Yeah. And like, a, you know, and obviously I'm definitely not wishing Jordan Spieth's down years on Victor Hovland. Absolutely not. But looking forward, that's kind of the, the, place that he's put himself on the pedestal that he's put himself on to have that kind of success moving forward so asking you do you think that given the trajectories being kind of similar 
at, at the ages and the success that they're having that you you could potentially see a down couple of seasons from somebody like Victor Hovland, or do you think that he's just that guy? Um, it depends on how much pressure gets put on him. I think part of the reason that we saw those down years from Jordan Spieth was because he was touted as the second coming almost. Yeah. I, like obviously we didn't ever expect anyone to be like Tiger. We never will expect anyone to be like Tiger, but he was touted as the next best thing basically when he was coming up and he was playing as well as he was with mm-hmm. his three majors almost immediately. Yeah. Um, and I think it all is just going to come down to how much pressure gets put on Victor. The one thing that's working for Victor is this is basically his biggest win so far. Mm-hmm. Don't, he doesn't have a major, right? No, no, no majors um, for Victor. So this is his biggest win so far of his career, which doesn't really put a lot of pressure on him unless he puts a lot of pressure on himself, which right. based on how composed he's been this season, I don't think he's going to put quite that much on himself. Um, another guy that we could compare him to is Colin Morikawa, mm-hmm. who also had some very early success, said he wasn't putting pressure on himself, but he also did win a few majors right away. And that will essentially put pressure on you, whether you want it to or not, whether you think you're mentally tough enough to have it put pressure on you or not. Um, the, so the one thing that's different is he doesn't have a major. And I think that's going to be huge because as great as a tour championship is, that's still not the level of a major championship. So we're not really going to be talking about him in that conversation quite yet until we see him either win one or get very close to winning one. Yeah. And that, and and you're completely correct. That's just kind of the way that that professional golf is uh, just because the tour championship and the FedEx cup playoffs have only been around for about a decade now where majors have been being played since the early 1900s. Right. So uh, everybody's going to look at majors first when they look at how good of a golfer were you in, in, in the long run, he's been a professional for four years, started playing in majors uh, at the masters in 2019 uh, in his last five appearances at majors, he went T4 at the 2022 Open. He went T7 at the 2023 Masters, T2 at the PJ Championship this year, 19th at the U.S. Open this year, and T13 at the Open. He's making 20s. runs at it. Yeah. He's top 25 in his last five majors played, top to, uh, top 25 in all the majors in a season. That's big. That's not something to scoff at. And also, let's not forget that he popped off four wins on the season. I know that they weren't majors, yeah. but the Hero World Challenge and the and the Memorial Tournament, those are those are good wins. But back to back at the BMW and the Tour Championship. Yeah, the Tour Championship, I think, is a great building block for him going yeah. into next year because, we like you said, it's not a major, but it's almost the next best thing mm-hmm. besides maybe like the players and the waste management. Right. Um. That's as close as you're going to get to a major environment. As far as the competition you're playing, it's the top 30 on tour, right? Exactly. You're playing the best. You're not even like he started the week immediately down. Like even though it was only one stroke that can still mess with you mentally. The fact that he was able to overcome that and just absolutely dominate Scotty Scheffler and dominate the rest of the field the way he did shows a lot and the fact that he could perform in that kind of pressure situation gives me nothing but confidence going into next year in some of these major championships where he already has t2 here he has a second place a t4 all top 20s basically 
Yeah, I could I could really reasonably see a, a major in the next two years out of him for, for sure. sure. Uh, just with, I feel like it's a, a you could say it's almost a given, but majors are always are always hard. But I think yeah. you're absolutely right. Where this tour championship, that's about as close to a major environment, a major level of golf that you're going to get outside of a major. Yeah. Um. So that's that's great to build off of. Now, another question for you, just to kind of also segue a little bit. 261 is what was shot by Victor Hovland on the weekend. Uh, Xander Shoffley also shot a uh, 261. Do you think, given the format of the FedEx Cup Championship with the strokes that you get, excuse me, at the Tour Championship, do you uh, and are you a little pissed that we got robbed of a Xander Shoffley-Victor Hovland playoff? I feel like we've beaten this dead horse a million times over it's stupid just have everybody start even you don't do this for any other tournament why would you do it for the most important one of the season yeah yeah it makes no sense to me like i get it you worked hard all season awesome guess what you got those wins already Mm. you don't need a lead going into the tour championship if you're that good you're just gonna win and not only that, but I feel like the reason that they do it that way is because of how big the pot is for the FedEx Cup, for the Tour Championship at least. Yeah. Just make the pot smaller. Spread that money out throughout the season then. Make it just a regular uh, designated event or a FedEx Cup Championship playoff event. That doesn't even bother me because, yeah, it's the top 30. So the difference in FedEx Cup points between the first place person and the 30th place person is going to be significant, mm-hmm. but that person still played just as many events. That person probably still has a decent amount of top tens. Like It's not like they're not working for the position that they're in, and there's no reason that someone in the top 30 who's... Like, Victor played 33 events. Mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee you whoever was in 30th probably also played around 33 events if not more. And there's no reason that they, after all their work, shouldn't have an equal chance to win this tournament based on how they play that given week. Because like I said, every other tournament is how you're playing that given week. We never give any sort of leeway or automatic lead in any other event. And then we have the most expensive event of the year. And all of a sudden we're like, you know what? If you're in first after this season, we're just going to give you a head start because you deserve it. I mean, the good news is, is so far what we've seen is that even with said head start, it does not guarantee you the victory, yes. which is which is good, because if that was the case, this would get very old very fast. Yes. Um, but I agree with you. I think that this is one of those things where you could honestly argue to me that somebody at the bottom of the top 30, like Corey Connors or like Emiliano Grio, who played almost 10 plus more events throughout the year than the big name guys. Mm-hmm. you could argue with me that they almost deserve the tour championship just that little bit more because they yeah. had to put in that extra work, right? They had to put in the yeah. grinding hours, go into the small events, go into the invitationals, right? Yeah. To get those FedEx cup points to even give them a chance at the top 30, you know? And Yeah. And the last thing I'm going to say on it is you can't tell me from a perspective of the PGA tour that, you think it's better to have just one of your guys that was already in the top five 
come and just win this event because they started at minus nine. Not taking anything away from Victor Hovland. He played mm-hmm. great. He earned everything that happened. But if we're in a different situation, like say Scotty Scheffler is the one that's still in the lead and Xander makes this run from where did he start? Six or seven? Uh, yeah, I believe he started in sixth. So he makes this run and we're talking about a tie now between the guy who started in the lead and someone who's playing mm-hmm. out of his mind this weekend and say we have a playoff. You can't tell me that just having one of those guys that's been at the top all year winning is better than having one of your guys that's most likely still in the top 10 mm-hmm. making a run from playing an amazing weekend and taking it to a playoff in your championship event that's worth $14 million. That's like that's what you want to see, right? That, that's yeah, as, and as a viewer, you're going to get so many more views if you have a situation like that. You like you're going to get so many less views by having your guy win by five strokes. Mm. And he was given five strokes on top of the person that is that he's leading by five strokes right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um and like I had some stuff come up. I'm going to be completely honest. I had some stuff come up Sunday night. I had to step away from my TV. It was about the time that Victor was basically clinching it. And I didn't really get to watch all of the last part of it. And I wasn't super upset because it wasn't even close. Yeah. I mean, he pretty much just wrapped it up in surgical fashion. Like he had done the entire weekend. Um, it's one of those things where I'm looking at the strokes and the one, two spots, Victor Hovland's Andrew Shoffley. I'm seeing the same number and I'm like, damn it. That's the closest golf is ever going to get to game seven, sudden death overtime or yeah. game seven extra innings, right? That's the closest golf's ever going to get. Right. Mm-hmm. And we got robbed because of this whole, we're adding staggered advantage, staggered, staggered starting uh, scores. It's, it isn't the worst thing in sports baseball umpires are, um, but it's close. They're starting to get ejected now, so that's cool. Yeah, I know. That, that video is hilarious to me. That's so that's funny. so funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, bring robo-umps if we're going to have an off, uh, offset of baseball here. Bring me the robots. I'm tired of these, these divas that love the attention on themselves, even though all they're trying to do is police the game. It's, it's, it's just – it's gross. Either way, I digress. Um, that's the closest – professional golf is ever going to get to a, a moment like that or moments like that. And the fact that you kind of take it away at the biggest moment of the season, it's another example of something that we say on this podcast all the time. It's the PGA tour taking one step forward and two steps back. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I guess. Right. But I think that that's probably going to change when they do the merger. I really think that's something I'm not even quite sure the players enjoy that to yeah. be honest. Uh, so I think that's probably something that gets changed in the merger, which obviously we'll continue to talk about as that, as that goes. But the one last thing that we need to talk about when we talk about the tour championship and almost the season at large, Scotty Scheffler, what, what is going on? What was that season? Ooh. Such a strange year for him. He's, by far and wide, optically, and by the numbers, the best golfer on tour all season long, and can not putt. Can't sink a putt to save his life right now. If you, if 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 anybody listening is in front of a computer right now or has access to their phone, isn't driving a car, 
I implore you to go on datagolf.com and just look up Scotty Scheffler. And when it gives you the breakdown of the events that he's played this year and you see the strokes, the true strokes gain stats next to the events, look at all of the green in around the greens approach uh, off the tee and total. And then look at all the red in putting. He spent a majority of the season just so piss poor on the putting surface. And I'm looking at the Memorial Tournament. He was an entire two strokes behind the average on the tournament in putting and came in third. Could you imagine if he could just roll a putt? If he could just putt averagely? He would have he would have made 10 times the amount of winning the, the FedEx Cup championship throughout the season. Really, he wouldn't even have to show up. Right, yeah. anybody could win the the FedEx Cup championship and not make as much money as he did yeah. this year if he could just nail a putt. This the stretch from the AT and T Byron Nelson to the Genesis Scottish Open, which is seven events: T five, T two, T three, 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 T four, T three. In every single one of those events, he was under the average on putting. That's seven events that he could have won if he just knew how to putt if he just had the average or maybe just even a little bit of above average on the putting service he's winning at least three of those seven for sure like all pretty much guarantee it right yeah wow what are we do? it's got to be mental right there's there's no way it can't be has to be i mean because we've seen him putt before yeah. we've seen him do it wow i mean the bmw championship uh 0.19 strokes under the tour championship one whole stroke under the average. Everything else about his game is so beautiful to watch. His ball striking, the way he drives the ball. Yeah, it looks like he snapped both of his ankles, but if you just ignore what the lower body does, the rest of his swing's beautiful. But the thing is, that's not where he's having problems. Exactly. Dude, T to green is just, it's immaculate. You're like, that's the quintessential golfer. And as much as amateurs, if you're if you're a Tommy two putt, that's fantastic, good for you. That's actually the best thing you can do. A professional being a Tommy two putt is a insult. Yeah, you know you cannot be that guy on the PGA mm-hmm. Tour. You have to roll in one putts. You have to be pretty much just surgical from eight feet and in. Yeah, and that was not what he was this season, and it came back to bite him when it mattered. Yeah. T two uh, uh, at the BMW Championship. He puts the ball a little better. Probably wins that one. T six at the Tour Championship. If he puts at least average, he's probably he probably wins it. To be honest, at least has a chance. At least has a shot. But you know, just putting yourself out of it every time you hit the green is not going to win you championships. Do you think that in the off season we see? maybe a caddy change or maybe some news that he gets a new mental coach or, or a putting coach or something like that. Uh, going I think he gets year. a new putting coach. I don't know if we see a caddy change because as, as much as caddies are used on the golf course, they're pretty much used until you get to the green. And then mm-hmm. most of these guys do what their putting coach has already told them. Like the, most of the caddies don't do as much as you would think around the greens, as far as putting is concerned. Right. Um, these guys all have their their techniques and whatever they go through with their putting coaches. So I would more picture a putting coach change and possibly a putter change. Um and just a lot of work from him in the yeah. offseason. 
I mean, let's not forget that at the open he had that little that little temper tantrum with the with the putt where he kind of like kicked his putter after he dropped it. Like that's how frustrating it was to just watch him putt. Like that was my that was me mentally was just having yeah. a temper tantrum. Because he's not far off. Like a lot no. of his putts are just lipping out. Every it's time. just the minuscule change of the putter face as he's swinging it forward or backward, whichever one he messes up on. Um, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done because if you're two strokes behind the average and Victor is, I'll just say one stroke ahead of the average, you're three strokes behind already. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Victor was. That That's a number that I made up, but right, yeah. if Victor's, right, he, if Victor's yeah. one stroke ahead, you're two strokes behind, that's three strokes difference and you have no chance. Yeah. And it's just, it's one of those situations where you really wonder after a season like that, is he going, because remember, this is, Scotty Shuffler's a guy that does not have an equipment contract. Uh, right now, he's uh, working with TaylorMade, Driver, and Woods, and Srixon Irons Yeah. Uh, going into Titleist Wedges and his putter, the the one that uh, he and everybody else is pissed at, is a Scotty Cameron. Mm-hmm. Now... Can you blame the putter for guys like us? Not so much for professionals. You could argue that the putter makes a difference. Uh, He's a blade putter kind of guy. Doesn't use a mallet putter. Um, But also in this situation, you could really start having the conversation of. Is this a guy that in the off season signs that deal with whoever it is that can sign him because he has yet to sign one and immediately goes to the lab about a putter, right? Like if he, if he signs with Srixon or if he signs with Taylor may, which looks like it's probably going to be the one that the, the one of the mm-hmm. two that has the choice to get him because of what he uses, does he immediately go to the lab and is like, we got to, we got to figure this whole putting thing out, you know? Yeah. I don't even know if it's going to take him signing with one of them. I wouldn't be shocked if he just went to the, the Taylor made kingdom and was like, make me a putter right now. We got a putt. Yeah. Um, because I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'll say it forever. The number one shot that I feel like you have to be comfortable over to be consistent with it is putting. Mm-hmm. You can come back from a drive, you can come back from an approach shot. If you're putting and it matters, you got to be comfortable over the ball or you're not hitting it where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially with your Scottie Scheffler, right? You can come back from any shot. Yeah. You're making any shot you want to because yeah. the way that you swing the club when it's tee to green is pretty much but it's just, perfect all the yeah, time. It's just how golf works. Like yeah. most of the time your drive's gonna go middle of the fairway, you're gonna have 150, 160 in. Your second shot probably gonna be on the green, maybe a little bit off depending on how good of a shot it was. And then you're gonna either have to two putt or try to one putt. And you just have to be able to do that. And you have to be comfortable enough over your putter. That you can be confident in if I don't make if I don't hit my approach shot to five feet, I can still potentially hit this putt if it's outside of say eight to ten feet. And I could almost guarantee you that if they asked Scotty Scheffler if he was comfortable with making anything outside of eight to ten feet, he would probably say no. At yeah, least right yeah. now. Just At taking right yeah, just taking into account the amount of strokes that he lost throughout the season, just on the green alone, you know, just on the season, he was a half a stroke worse than the PJ tour average in putting, which 
you wonder how it's even remotely possible that he put himself in so many situations to win. Well, that's because on his approach shots, he was a whole three strokes better than the tour average. The man was basically inches away from chipping in every single time he had an approach shot. Yeah. And just could not one putt. He was lipping out three footers. He was missing amateur side on five footers. Classic stuff that any other PGA Tour uh, pro is going to be good at. He just could not seem to land it. So I agree with you. I think either way, whether he signs or he doesn't sign, he's going to go to, he's going to get into the lab and, and fix his putting situation. But you you could see, uh, I think this could be the time where you see him hitch his wagon to a company. I can see it. And and maybe try to fix it that way because uh, it's kind of what John Rom did. Although John Rom didn't have a like a glaring issue yeah, with not being signed. Overall, needed needed yeah. consistency. Needed consistency out of the people he was working with and the clubs and the equipment that he was working with. And you know we saw it. John Rom once he signed with Callaway it was a menace. Still is yeah. a menace. Uh, the same thing happened with uh, Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka signs yeah. with on is in every major possibly winning all of them, you know, like there's something to be said about guys signing those contracts and getting more comfortable because they have one company, one set of guys that they go to uh, every week. They don't have multiple different sources. Yeah. Um, So definitely, definitely interesting to take that into account moving forward with Scotty, but man, that, that guy's got to putt way better just to, just to stay in it before. I mean, talk about before the Ryder cup, if you're a USA fan. Yeah. Not, not not what you want to see. <laughs> not what you want to see at all. Um, all right, before we finish up on the FedEx Cup, great year, great finish to the season. Um, it was, it was really fun golf to watch. I thought the uh the intensity was there, it was good stuff. There was a slight change, as in the past, it has been the uh the 125 guys go in, 70 the next event, 50 the final event. This year it was 70, 50, 30. Rick, did you feel any palpable difference? between this year and even last season, as far as intensity, competition, et cetera, with the the less golfers that were involved? I don't think so. It wasn't noticeable from a viewer perspective. Um, pretty much the top 70 guys, if even that, are the ones that are competing anyway. Mm-hmm. You're not really seeing the 125 guys doing anything. They're just kind of there. So I, don't, I didn't really notice a, a, a palpable difference. Um, what about you? Yeah, no, not really for me either. I I thought, you know, obviously, like I said, it was it was fun to watch. I really enjoyed it, uh, but I also really enjoyed it last year. I didn't really feel anything palpable to the yeah. to the lack of the lack of golfers there. If anything, I thought this is probably should have been the way it was in the first place. To be honest, yeah. with you. So, uh, you know, obviously, what are you gonna do, right? Uh, but I think that's probably the way they're gonna just keep going moving forward because it's it's not that it's better. It's just like. Why have 125 guys going to the yeah. playoffs, right? Not I understand really you want to, yeah. I want to, I understand you want to open it up, but like the top 70 is really where the rubber meets the road, anyway. So I think that should be mm-hmm. where where it happens, just just personally. But all right, to continue moving forward, that was basically the end of the PJ season. That was the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, great year, loved it entirely. Rick, what was your favorite memory of the 2023 season? Favorite memory. Hmm. I I have to say, um, as much as I've talked about the the live tour 
it was fun to watch Brooks compete in majors again. Mm. It was it was exciting to watch. It was exciting to see him kind of get that fire back. Um, what was it? The open where he was uh, uh yeah yeah. So it was uh you know his, his second his, I think yeah basically his coming out party was the Masters. Yeah, everybody was like, "Oh shit, he could just do this at at will." Um, no, it wasn't the Open. It was the Masters. Yeah, yeah, it was the Ma- the Masters was like, "Oh, okay, so he's here to to grind," and the PJ Championship gets the win. Yeah, you know, so yeah, it was nice to see him kind of get back because as much as we hate it, the merger's happening. Um, unless there's some crazy legal thing that happens, which is possible. Um, and he's been my favorite golfer since I started following golf. So it was nice to see him get back in the winner's circle in a major, keep competing. Um, he didn't play well at the open, but Mm -hmm. he played well at the masters. He played well at the U S open. He was like T 17 or solo 17, I think. Yeah. Um, and he got the win at the PGA. So good, good major season for him. And, um, as much as I might disagree with his decision to go to live, it was nice to see him get back in the major winner circle and start to seem like old Brooks again a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah, I can totally agree with that. That was, that was definitely in my top five, but you know, for, for me, my favorite was man, the Ricky Fowler win. That was just, that was so nice. That was, it was just a breath of fresh air for, Anybody that's just kind of followed golf in the last couple of years, you know, when Jordan yeah. Spieth finally came back, that was awesome. Yeah. Then you get Ricky back now and you're like, all right, we're, it's, you know, we had a weird couple of years there. Didn't really know we were going with this, but we got two of the, you know, the main guys back, which is great to see and really good for the game of golf specifically going into this whole, who knows mm-hmm. what with the, with the merger. So that was, that was my favorite, but dude, the Brooks Kepka stuff, that was, that was electric. Oh yeah. Just not being on, not being on the tour the entire year, and yeah. playing four tour events and getting a T two, a win, a T seventeen, and then unfortunately not a great showing at at the Open. But you know the Americans are famously not very good over there, uh. So that's and that was cool. Yeah, and a close second. Um, just because I have to mention it, and it'll kind of segue us into our next conversation. My man Lucas Glover. Yeah, baby. Uh, just the sweaty man that he is, just <laughs> getting it done at forty something odd years old. It was <laughs> fun to watch him just do it out yeah, of nowhere, for sure. And also, still frustrated with his uh, with his clothing people. But yeah, that's a whole conversation for another day. You gotta stop putting that man in light colors. That's you got. You gotta stop. You but know, yeah, fun to watch him him get those wins and put himself in a position to potentially uh we thought anyway get chosen for the Ryder Cup but seems as if not I believe is what you were telling me yeah so uh we have some reports some rumblings and we have a, a name and a uh and a publication to uh, attach blame to if if we're incorrect but according to Ewan Murray of the Guardian uh, their their golf writer it appears Zach Johnson has pretty much made up his mind uh, up on everybody in the captain's picks other than the last guy. Uh, it's looking like it's going to be Brooks Kepka, thank God. Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, three guys that we had already talked about pretty much being shoe-ins for us. 
Uh, Ricky Fowler, great to see him back. Mm-hmm. And Justin Thomas. Strange. Wow, what are we doing? Did you let oh, just... affect your picks here, ZJ? What's I get, Like, I get it. I do. But I, also I don't. don't. <laughs> I, I really don't. I Look, I understand it's Justin Thomas. I understand he's a Ryder Cup staple. Basically, yeah. your quintessential Ryder Cup guy. Big vibes guy. I love that, right? Yeah. If you are telling me that Zach Johnson looked at the numbers from his season and went, yeah, that guy's going to get us a win, you'd be lying. Yeah, you would be. I don't understand where he's seeing that pick. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a, ba- it's a bad year. It's a, And it's okay to have a bad year. He's had so many good ones. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the dude was world number one for years. Okay, it's okay to have a little bit of a downtrend, you know, when you get into your 30s. He'll come back. I have confidence in that. Yeah. This just ain't the year. Yeah, you got you to be a little bit smart about it. There's guys that are playing way better yeah. um, that deserve it. And it's it's one of those things, like, you obviously like to have the names there. But at the same time, and as much as we want to win these things, at the same time, it's also an opportunity for the guys like a Lucas Glover who are just having a great season and deserve a chance to get to play in one of these. If they're playing better than someone like mm-hmm. right now, I'm going to be honest. I'm taking Lucas Glover over George, Justin Thomas 100%. because he's just playing better. Yep. And it has nothing to do with mm-hmm. the fact that I've been just like all about Lucas Glover the past few weeks. Like Justin Thomas just hasn't been playing well. That's yeah. just a fact. And if you want to give yourself the best chance, you just put the guys out there that are playing the best. And right now that's not him. Yeah. I, I would hundred percent agree. Uh, and obviously the, I said five, five names. Those are the ones that have basically been confirmed by you um, and Murray of the guardian. The, the, uh, the final 12th spot is pretty much up for grabs for four guys. It looks like uh, leaning towards one of them. Uh, Keegan Bradley, uh, Cameron Young, Tony Finau, and Sam Burns. It's leaning Sam Burns because of his friendship with Scotty Scheffler, which I understand. Also, he's had a good year. Yeah. If you gave me Tony Finau or Keegan Bradley over Justin Thomas, I'd agree way more than the Justin Thomas pick. Yeah, right now I agree. Keegan Bradley alone's having a hell of a year. Doesn't he have a handful of wins? Uh, he has at least one. I don't know. He's if got he has two a... wins on the team. He has two. Okay. And you won the Travelers. Like, that's not, you know, a scoff at tournament to win. Yeah. Came in T9 on the Tour Championship, and we're going to let Justin Thomas on this Wasn't team? there? Yeah. Look, if Keegan – I understand the Sam Burns pick. I like Sam Burns. He had a decent year. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's good good buddies with Scotty Scheffler. That all makes sense to me. But Keegan Bradley alone getting yeah, snubbed over – I'll take Keegan over, over Justin Thomas right now, too easily are i mean just had a way better year you just all you have to do is look at the numbers it's not it's not like it's a gray area it's very black and white when it comes to who had a better season and you know you could you could you could argue with me that you know tony finau didn't have a better year and neither did cameron young but like sam birds and keegan bradley yeah it's a toss-up for me with finau and young against jt right now it could go either way but i think if you're telling me i gotta pick one Keegan Bradley, yeah, and Sam Burns. I'm taking both of them over Justin Thomas right now. Right, and obviously, I don't want to harp on the negative too much with the Ryder Cup coming around the 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 corner here because 
the Brooks Kepka, Jordan Speed, Con Morikawa, and Ricky Fowler picks. Beautiful. I, I love all I love all four of those. That makes a lot of sense to me. That is some depth right yeah. there, as far as I'm concerned, where you're looking at the depth chart and you're looking at at the bottom of the depth chart. Uh a hot Con Morikawa. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that all day long. Just simply because I understand the three-headed giant that's coming at us from from Europe with uh, you know, Rory McElroy and John Rahm and oh. Right, Victor Hovland. Yeah, um, it's going to be very similar to our golf weekend that we just mm-hmm. had, where yeah. most most likely the you know that the Europe guys are going to take a good amount of the events. It's going to mm-hmm. have to come down to the depth. Yep, it's all it's all about roster depth. You can be top loaded all you want if you're Europe. It it's all about that the depth of the team, and you you look at the bottom of the Europe roster or who's projected to be in the bottom of that roster. And it's, these are guys that haven't even really scraped at getting wins on the PGA tour. Even if they are on the PGA tour, a lot of these guys are actually just solely European tour guys. So, you know, obviously like your Matt Fitzpatrick's or Tyrrell Hatton's, those guys, they're, they're going to compete, right. That we we know that, that, but that, those are the kind of guys that get taken care of by Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth, who, by the Mm -hmm. way, our captain's picks. Yeah. Let's not even talk about the other six guys that have already confirmed. Uh, let me pull that list back up just cause it's not on the tip of my tongue right now, but it, it look, it's one of those things where the, we're only talking about the captain's picks right now. Scotty yeah. Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon, Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, Xander Shoffley, basically the guy that once he puts on red, white, and blue is unstoppable. Mm-hmm. That top six, I'm taking over the, the top six for, yeah. for Team Europe. Now, the and top it, three could be a conversation, but top six alone, you know. I'm yeah, taking, and yeah. to be completely honest, that last pick, Sam Burns or Egan Bradley, I'll take either of those guys in a dogfight against like the lights of like Tyrrell Hatton. Mm-hmm. Like Easy. Tyrell Hatton is a great golfer, but Keegan Bradley's had a good season. Sam Burns plays really well most of the time. Like he has his down weeks, obviously. But if you get Keegan or Sam on a good week against Tyrrell, I that's a dogfight, if you ask me. And that's our last pick. Yeah. And do you think that the Scotty Scheffler putting situation is going to burn him? Probably. Yeah. Hopefully he gets it figured out. But let's also not forget the President's Cup. Where Scotty basically got throttled, and it was a really poor showing. You don't think he's yeah. going to have that kind of fire in his ass to to get back on the horse? I mean, I guess we said about the tour championship, and lo and behold, yeah. but something's got to give here. And I do think that we're going to see a different Scotty when it comes down to the Ryder Cup. I really, I really think we do. Um, obviously, the Ryder Cup is going to be incredible to watch. That is slated for what the end of September, I believe, the weekend of the twenty eighth. Think so. Think so. Um, so moving forward here, the next two weeks. Uh, next week we're taking taking the week off, just like those uh those golfers, because well, we too are tired. It's a long season, the PGA Tour season. Um, and the eleventh, we might do an episode just to get um everybody ready for the season to to come, but we also might not, as the season will continue or not continue. The season will re-begin the 2023-2024 season uh, on the 18th. So get ready for that. But other than that, Rick, unless you got any other PGA news, that's going to do it. Yeah, no, I got nothing. Good season. All righty. Great get season. Nice one. 
man, that was a good season. Uh, loved a lot of stuff about the season. Uh, let us know what you guys loved about the season. Go ahead and hit us up on our social medias, uh, on Instagram, at from the tips underscore pod, or on Twitter, at FTT underscore pod. We will answer. Uh, we will DM you back. We'll talk about your opinions on how the season went, what you liked, what you hated. Um, uh, we have, I don't know when it's going to drop, but season two of long, um, Drive to Survive or, or whatever it was, uh, whatever it was, was called. The, that was the uh, that was the F1. F1. Yeah, what, what, was, yeah. what was it? Um, I don't even remember, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, what was the golf one called? You know exactly what I'm talking about, folks. Um <laughs> The that is season two got filmed this year, so get ready for that. Um, a lot of good stuff to get excited about, but just let's hear about what you liked to and didn't like about this last season. Thank you so much again for listening. We appreciate it every time you guys hit play on an episode. Uh, it really makes us feel good that you guys continue to come back week in and week out. We appreciate the heck out of you as always. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you guys in a week or two. We out. Thanks, guys. See you later. <laughs>